Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Excited to be here with you guys today. So <clears throat> if it is your first time, if you're new, if you're watching online for the first time, if you're listening for the first time, let me kind of catch you up to date as to what we're doing in this series called Follow Me. We are taking a look at the life of Jesus. We're taking a look at his teachings and, and specifically what he taught. But we are drilling down, uh, looking at the manner in which he taught, the manner in which he interacted with other people. Because what you saw from the bumper is this idea that people were always around him. Wherever he went, there's crowds of people and people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They couldn't wait to be at his feet. They couldn't wait to learn from them. And yet he would speak truth into their lives and they never seemed to get insulted. And unfortunately, so many times as Christians, when we're speaking with non-unbelievers, that kind of a thing, they seem to get offended by us. So what was he doing that we're not? And hopefully this is one big guide for us, in a way, to be less offensive when we're sharing our faith and to be more effective in that job. The reason that's so important is because we learn uh, something from a prayer that Jesus made on his last night on this earth, right before he was about to die. He prayed to God the Father, and he prayed about the disciples specifically. And he said, Father... I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And then he prays about us Christians today. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. What we learn from this is that when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, as we like to say here, you're not just given a ticket to kind of get out of this world and go right to heaven. Rather, you're given a mission, you're given a job, and that job is to go out into the world, go to your friends, neighbors, coworkers, family, and talk to them about Jesus. Tell them about your faith. And our hope is that this series will give you the tools to do a better job at that. So let me ask you a question as we kind of kick off um, this day. Have you ever had a bad experience with Christianity? Have you ever been burned, so to speak, by a church? Have you ever been burned by a, a group of Christians? Have you ever been made to feel like you're an outcast, that perhaps you don't, you know, measure up to their standards? Have you ever felt like that? I mean, because of your treatment or your experience, did you walk away from church? Did you kind of wash your hands of the whole Christian thing and say, I'm done, I'm not interested, and maybe you walked away from God altogether. But maybe you're here today, or maybe you've been kind of dipping your toe back into the church thing because you're trying to find out, has it changed? Are they different? Or is this what I've experienced all along? What Jesus is going to talk to us about today is this issue that I believe is at the core of your problem. I think it's at the core of perhaps what you experience. And I know that the issue he's going to talk to us about today is at the core of why so many people either don't engage with a local church or have disengaged from a local church. See, what he's going to talk to us about today is a term called legalism. Now, if you're not familiar with this term, some of you might know it, some of you might not, let me just kind of define it a little bit for you. When we're talking about legalism or legalists, those who practice legalism, what we're talking about in, in, in the, the confines of the scripture are Jewish religious leaders or Jewish believers who have become fixated, hyper-focused on the law. And I don't mean like police law. 
I'm talking the Ten Commandments, but really more than Ten Commandments. I'm talking the 613 laws that all of their rabbis created to begin to regulate their behavior. These legalists became obsessed with these laws, and they loved the rules, and they loved the regulations. They lived for it, and they completely lost sight of the bigger picture. They divorced any kind of God's law from God's grace. It was, there, there was no room for grace. Everything was the law. Everything was rules. Everything was regulations. And this was a problem. Jesus always fought against legalists. Wherever he went, he was butting heads. Specifically, we're talking about the Pharisees. You've heard this name mentioned before. Everywhere he went, he was butting heads with the Pharisees, these legalists. And the reason we're talking about it today is because legalism, unfortunately, is still a massive problem in the Christian church. So because we're friends here, I want to give you just a, a heads up for today. Today, you're going to be doing some heavy lifting, okay? This is just, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? If you're a gym person, let me explain to you what today is. Today is leg day, okay? Today's leg day. You know what that means then, okay? It's heavy weights. It's a lot of work. You're going to be, I hope you didn't have too late of a night because you really are going to have to dial in and think today. Because the topic that we're going to talk about and what Jesus addresses is very complex. And it is getting a little, it will get a little bit confusing at times, but it is so foundational to the Christian faith that we have to get this right. And as you're going to see, Jesus' original audience did get confused about what he was talking about. And, and so I'm going to try to do my best today to distill down this very complex topic into a bite-sized portion that we can begin to understand and implement and remove. Starts off in Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. We'll be on it today. It says this. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. So I was reading this, and it reminded me of like, you know when you're at like a public bathroom, sort of speaking, you know, you're at a restaurant, or maybe you're here at church, or you're in the bathroom, and you're by yourself, and all of a sudden somebody else comes in. And now it's like everybody's done, and now it's like the hand-washing portion of the day, and there's nobody's talking to each other, but it's kind of like, we're going to do this, right? Like we're all going to wash our hands because people are watching us now, okay? And you go up to the sink, and now you're washing your hands, and now there's like this silent conversation going between like, who's going to stop washing their hands first, right? Who's the dirty dog here? And like, I don't know about you, but I'll just wash them for like an hour. I'll be in there. I am not going to stop first, and by the time it's done, I'm ready for surgery, okay? And I... (laughs) And like, I don't know about you, but when you leave the public bathroom, you're kind of like kicking the door open and walking your way out. That is not what we're talking about here. This is not about washing your hands with Purell and sort of getting the, the germs off, so to speak. What these guys are talking about is a ceremonial or religious act. So let, me, let me drill down on this for you so you understand, because this is important for today. And I also want to focus on the Pharisees, because they pop up and Every single week so far in this series, they have popped up. And I want to give you a little bit of background to them because they always come off looking like villains, but I want you to see how it all started. So what these guys are talking about is what's known as the tradition of the elders. In the Old Testament, when you have the, the priests who worked at the temple, anytime they did any sort of ceremonial activity, anything to do with God, even when it came to eating, they were required to do a ceremonial washing. 
they would pour water over their hands and they would do this and they would do that. And all of this prepared their heart to serve God better. Now, by the time that Jesus arrived in the scenes, the Pharisees had decided, the religious leaders of the time decided that it would be a good thing for all Jews, not just the priests, but for all Jews to do this ceremonial washing, so to speak. They, they looked at the, the priests and they said, well, it's kind of like what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Our lives are owned by God. Our homes are owned by God. Our bodies are owned by God. It's his temple, yada, 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 all that kind of a thing. So we should probably do the same thing as the priests. We should cleanse ourselves and make ourselves ready to serve God better. The Pharisees believed that if you regulate behavior, it'll purify your heart. And see, in their mind, they figured if you do X and you do Y and you do Z and you follow these rules and you follow these regulations, it will keep your heart pure. And it will make you right with God. And as the years went on, the Pharisees created more and more laws, more and more. 613 laws they created to help everybody be more holy. But you have to understand that this all started off from a sincere place and a, and a genuine place to serve God better. That's why they're doing all this. But somewhere along the way, and who knows when, maybe around law number 600, but probably law number one, as we'll see today, they lost their way. They lost their way and they lost sight of what's important because of all of these man-made rules. So it continues. It says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, this is Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition, the tradition of the elders? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And then Jesus, as always, he's just had it with these guys. So he just goes right into it and he goes, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. He's called them that before. You hypocrites. Now, we know the word hypocrite to mean kind of like, well, I say one thing and I do another. I say one thing and I do another. But in Jesus' time, the Greeks, when, when they're talking about theater, the actors were not called actors. They were called hypocrites. And so Jesus is saying in this moment, he goes, guys, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Every, everything you're doing, it's just a show, okay? It looks good looks really holy, looks really spiritual, but there's nothing to it. You're, you're just acting a part. He goes, you're committed more to acting this part than, than changing your heart because it's, it's very clear. You have, you have no love for God and you certainly have no love for people. And then he quotes them Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet that they knew well. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He goes on, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Jesus is looking at these religious leaders, and he goes, you have absolutely handcuffed my people. You handcuffed my people with your rules and your regulations and your laws, and what's worse, you make it seem like they're from God. But they're not. They're from you. He continues. He says, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. He's like, you guys think you, you love the law. You think you know, the, you're ignoring it. You know what it says, right? You know what Deuteronomy said about adding things to the law, what you guys are doing. Deuteronomy says, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. 
but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Basically what God is saying here is that I created you. I created you. I'm in charge. I'll tell you what to do. Okay? I will tell you what I want you to do. Basically what he's saying is that don't go messing with the formula. God is saying, I got this. Just keep your little hands out of the equation. I will handle what you guys need to be doing for me. Don't go messing with the formula. But as Christians, we do this all the time. All the time. Certain churches, and we don't need to name names or, or point fingers, just certain churches. Certain churches just seem to have a lot more rules and regulations. And you look at them and you go, hey, where, where did these come from? Where are these rules and regulations that, that, that you came up with? Where are these all from? And of course, they'll say, well, it's, it's, it's a holy thing. It's all under the guise of being very spiritual. These are a good thing that we have these rules and regulations. Really? Because Paul says something specifically to churches who kind of have these rules. He goes, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. He's talking to a church here. Paul is saying, all your rules, all your regulations that you've created in your little church here, yeah, they may look good, and they may sound holy, but they're useless. They're absolutely useless in trying to clean a person's heart of sin. He actually says, you're wasting your time. And worse, you are pushing people away from God. See, what we firmly believe here is that a church should get its beliefs from the Bible alone. The Bible is the only way that you're ever going to really know God. The Bible is the only way that you were ever really going to know what he wants you to do. Our feeling is that if it's not in the Bible, we don't do it. Scripture's clear. Authority doesn't rest in some pastor. Authority doesn't rest in some local church. Authority rests in the Scripture alone. And so if it's not in there, we're not going to do it, and we're not going to add to it. Case closed. So this whole conversation, this whole conversation, remember, comes about because of hand washing. This, is, this whole dialogue that Jesus brings us on stems from a conversation about hand washing, where he slowly dismantles this idea that hand washing, that rules, that regulations, that rituals, those things aren't doing anything to purify your heart. Now he tries to land the plane, so to speak. Now he's going to try to bring this whole conversation to a close. And this is where it starts to get complicated. So if you're not already lost, buckle up, all right? Stay with me here because I'm going to do the best that I can to explain what he's about to tell us. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen and, and try to understand. He, he's not an idiot. He knows that what he's about to, you know, roll out is going to be difficult to understand. He goes, try to understand. Now, make sure we understand that what Jesus is about to say is revolutionary to the crowd and to the world. He looks at them and he says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. 
Now, I've got to imagine Jesus' original audience probably looks like this. A lot of blank stares. <laughs> a lot of like blinking and looking around and going, what is he talking about? Okay? Jesus saw this, and so he turns to his disciples, and he goes, all right, let me, let me, maybe these guys get it. Let me, let me go to the disciples. He looks at them and goes, don't you understand either? He asked, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sore. Don't you love Jesus' dedication to detail here? Okay. <laughs> I, I just I was like reading this and I go, can you imagine a couple of middle schoolers in the, in the, in the audience going, oh, Jesus said poop. Okay. That's what I would be thinking. Right? You're never too old for a good poop joke. All right, here's the deal. And then he said, he continues, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, the hits keep coming. Greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desire, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defiles you. And I have to imagine that when Jesus was done with this list, his audience was probably thinking, why, why are we talking about food? How did we arrive at, at this food and this heart? And the, where, where did all of this come from? See, we have to understand that in this moment, what Jesus was saying here, what he was rolling out is a landmark moment in the history of Christianity. Because what he is saying right now is he's looking to the Jewish leaders. He's looking to the Jewish people. He's looking at the Jewish religion. And he is saying, your rules, your regulations, and your law is unable to cleanse your heart from sin. And what we learn here is that the Jewish community failed to understand why God gave them some of those rules to begin with. Jesus is saying, your ancient laws, they had nothing to do with salvation at all. And they had everything to do with separation. Let me explain. Prior to Jesus, for thousands of years, I don't know the exact date, for thousands of years, God was attempting to introduce himself to the world. He didn't just pop in and say, hey, I'm God, everybody, come worship me. He, he didn't do that. What he did is he said, I'm going to start my story with a group of people known as the Jews. And in the very beginning, he did give them laws, but those laws were never to cleanse them of sin. Those laws were to separate them from the rest of the world. Those laws put sort of fences and barriers around that community for a purpose so that anybody outside of the Jewish community could look at this group, this distinct group, and say there's something different going on with this group. Life seems to be different for this group, and it, it maybe, just maybe, it's their God. The, the law was supposed to make these guys different, so everybody else looked at them and said, huh, I want what they have. And now Jesus is on the scene and things are different. And he's saying, look, guys, Jews, you have to understand, in the beginning, God was just for you. But now that I'm here, you have to understand that God's kingdom is for everybody. Everybody. So you've got to drop the rules. You've got to drop the food rules. You've got to drop the law, the regulation. You have to drop it all because I want nothing coming between someone and me, someone and God. Your laws, they're not changing your heart. They're not cleaning you from sin. 
In fact, they are keeping people from knowing me, specifically Gentiles, those who are not Christians. Those are not, those are not Jewish. He goes, these laws, they can't live up to this, and you're keeping them away from knowing me. Drop them right here and right now. And that's where the interaction ends, just like that. So the question we ask every single week is how do we follow Jesus' lead? What can we learn from this specific interaction that we can put into practice as we go out into the world and we speak to others about their faith? There's actually quite a lot that we can learn today. And what's interesting is that so much of what we learn can be used inside of the walls of a local church. The first thing that we learn is that less is more. Jesus absolutely lambasts those Pharisees for heaping rule upon rule upon rule onto their fellow Jews. And as Christians, if we are not vigilant, if we are not absolutely vigilant, we ourselves can become Pharisees very quickly, very, very quickly. See, the reality is that our intentions in a local church might be good, they might be holy, but what we end up doing is we create rules and we create regulations and we create what I like to kind of call the Christian checklist. And the checklist looks different for everybody, but this checklist lets you know that you are a good Christian. Want to know you're a good Christian? All you got to do is go to the checklist. What's on that checklist? Oh, let me show you. You got to go to church. You got to listen to Christian music in the car. You got to read your Bible daily. You got to read Jesus Calling. Do a 21-day fast. Go to a Bible study. Tithe. Don't vote for that political party. Don't drink alcohol. Don't wear too revealing clothing. Don't watch that movie. Only watch movies with Kirk Cameron. Don't curse. He watches them. Have a perfect marriage. Have kids that don't screw up. And would you make sure you look happy because people are watching you. And this is an abridged version of the Christian checklist. I, this is all a screen could fit. But here's the thing about this list. They exist, and you know it. And you may have gone to a church that had it. Maybe your parents had it, but the Christian checklist exists. And here is the truth. We are convinced that this checklist is a wise thing to do. Because this list, I mean, this list keeps us pure. This list keeps us holy. This list lets us know that we are a good Christian. But what tends to happen with the Christian checklist, while it may have been started off with good intentions, inevitably it becomes a system to judge other people. I have seen this list regulate humans. Specifically, I've seen it regulate service to God. Let me explain how this happens. Let's say a local church says, all are welcome. All are welcome in this church. Come one, come all. The message of Jesus is for everybody. All are welcome here. And then the little fine print says, oh, well, until you want to volunteer. Because all of a sudden, you know, you've been going to a church for a while, you're liking what's going on, and you find somebody that works there, and you say, hey, you know what? I really would like to start volunteering at the church. Can you help me with that? And they say, great, that's wonderful. We have a four-week orientation class that you need to take before you can volunteer. Oh, but I just want to agree to the door. Understood. Not a problem. It's a four-week class, though. You have to take it. Now, I'm not saying every single church acts this way, but I am saying some do. 
And the reason those orientation, four-week, five-week, six-week, whatever the case may be, why those exist is because those are filtering programs. We can get you in the door, we can have conversations with you, and we can make sure that you believe exactly what we believe because if you don't, you're not going to serve here. And through those conversations, we find out, oh, oh, you don't believe this? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, you believe what? Oh, you're living with and you're not married? Okay. Oh, you're... Oh, you're this? Okay. Oh, you're recovering from, oh, okay. And by the time the whole class is done and you've gone every single week as much as you do not want to go, by the, whole, by the time it's done, you go to them and say, all right, where do I get to serve? And they say, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. We're staffed right now, but we've got your name and, and we're going to give you a call when we can. And what we're telling people is that, sorry, you can't serve God. Your life is just a little too messy for us to put you out there and give you a chance to serve God. We didn't learn this from Jesus. Not at all. Jesus would meet someone and immediately say, hey, follow me. And he puts them right to work. Did you ever think about the disciples for a moment and their lives? These guys, who, by the way, were a hot mess. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels. A hot mess. These guys, Jesus' 12 main men, never believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be until they finally saw him rise from the grave. How about that? And Jesus knew this, and yet Jesus put them to work anyway, and he used them to change the world. And I am convinced that if the average local church was in charge of vetting Jesus' disciples, they wouldn't make the cut. Jesus, are you aware that they're doing? Are you, are you, do you recognize that they don't believe or fully understand that you are? I've also seen the Christian checklist used to regulate progress to God, specifically when it comes to baptisms. Now, we just did baptism in this church. It was fantastic. It was so encouraging to watch. It was great hearing all the stories of life change and what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And so you have some person who's given their heart to the Lord, who says, I love Jesus. I want to let the world know that my life has been changed because of Jesus. And you go to the church and you say, hey, I want to be baptized. And they take your name and they take down all your stuff and then it goes before a committee. And now your life is scrutinized. And it's like you're being vetted for the Supreme Court. And I have been in conversations where this went on, where it says, are you aware that this person is living with another person outside of marriage? Are you aware that there, and sexuality always comes up? Are you... Have you noticed that they curse a lot? I've honestly said to these people, who do you think you are? Who do we think we are that we have the right to decide how much sin a person can have in their life before they can go out into the world and say that they love Jesus? How dare we? You know what we say at this church? Hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, dunk him. You like Jesus? Yeah, in the water, okay? Because here's the deal. We are always going to be a mess as Christians. For the rest of our lives, we are going to have things going on. You believe in Jesus. You want to tell the world about it? Get in the water. God will sort all the rest out. That's not up for me. That's not a problem for me. We want you to move forward. I don't want to get in the way of God. The next thing we learn is that rules separate us. Jesus is very clear in this, in this passage. Jesus shows us that rules and regulations and laws and all this kind of stuff actually prevent us and separate us 
from the very people that we are trying to reach with the message of Jesus Christ. And here's the problem. As churches create more rules and more regulations and that checklist gets longer and longer and longer, the church ends up becoming a holy huddle. And we talked about this in week one. All of a sudden, the church, rather than being a hospital for sick people, becomes a country club for Christians. A place where all the Christians, where we all look the same, and we all believe the same thing. We can come together on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, and we can pat each other on the back, okay? And we can get so focused on all the little things that we deem to be so important. And the longer we start doing it, the more we undermine our desire to love and serve and to communicate the gospel to unbelievers. The rules and the regulations, they end up blinding us to the very mission that Jesus put every single Christian on. Lastly, I believe that legalism fosters rebellion. When we saddle people with rules and regulations, unnecessary rules and regulations, excessive rules and regulations, it fosters rebellion against parents, against schools, against church, and ultimately against God. Jesus is clear that whenever we add to the word of God, we immediately increase the likelihood of rebellion. Do you know at least in my opinion. Do you know what the hardest people group is to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, you hear missionaries and they go overseas, they go down to South America, they go over to Asia, they go to Africa. I believe the hardest people group to reach with the message of Jesus Christ are people who were raised in a legalistic home or a legalistic church. Because when they were in a formative age, they saw the hypocrisy that accompanied legalism because it's always there. And I believe, because I know, many of you are victims of this. And those excessive rules and those excessive regulations and the man-made rules that Jesus himself talks about pushed you away from your family, pushed you away from the church, and pushed you away from the God. And as we go out into the world, if you truly want to follow Jesus, if you truly want to follow me as this whole series is talking about, we need to understand that our job is not to promote rules and regulations, but show mercy and faithfulness and love. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not us as a church giving others license to live with reckless abandon. Hey, become a Christian, do whatever you want. No, this is our understanding according to the teaching of Jesus Christ, that we don't need to regulate behavior. All we have to do is to create a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ lands in someone's heart. Because when the gospel of Jesus Christ lands in your heart, when the Holy Spirit enters your body, you will be changed from the inside out. There will be no need for us to regulate behavior. That's why the Holy Spirit is there. And that's our job, to love people and tell them about Jesus. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? 
for the Christians in the room. Let me start with you. You see that the Pharisees, they have their rules. They have their regulations. They got the hand washing, the food, the this, the that. It never seems to end with them. Let me ask you a question. What's on your checklist? When you think about your faith, your concept of God, your concept of Christianity, have you added anything to the message of salvation? Have you heaped on extra rules? Have you heaped on extra regulations? At a company where the scripture says all we have to do is say yes to Jesus in our hearts and we are saved? Have you added something to that list? Are you holding other people to your checklist? Are you judging and evaluating them by what you deem to be good Christianity? And here's a painful question. With your checklist and your rules and your regulations, even though your intentions, I'm sure, were good, and you believe it to be wise, looking back over your life, did you ever do any damage with your rules? Did you ever push away a child? Did you ever make someone feel less about themselves because of your rules and your regulations? This is not how Jesus calls it, called us to live. If you're in the room, and maybe you're not a Christian, or if you're in the room or you're listening online and, and you're someone who is a victim of a legalistic church or a legalistic family, my challenge to you, my, my prayer for you, would be to give Jesus a second chance. I understand that you've been burned, and I understand that you've been mistreated, and I understand that perhaps you ran away, and I don't blame you at all. But what you're going to have to figure out, and, and DHC will part you, partner with you in this process, you are going to have to figure out how to separate Christ from those Christians. It's going to take time, but you're going to have to figure out how to separate Jesus Christ from the damage that his followers may have done to you. And that doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen. And what you need to know is that your salvation and your place in God's family and your place at this church is not based on who you are. It's not based on who you were, who you are now, what you did or what you're doing. It's based on one thing, the grace of Jesus Christ, the mercy that was offered to us when he died on that cross so many years ago. Give him a second chance. We've done so much damage, unfortunately, in the local church. And this is never how Jesus wanted it to be. I would just challenge you to come back. Come back home. Let me pray for you.